This is Affliction, Affliction Fiction, Fiction, a podcast regarding writers and artists who quite literally make their characters sick. On this show... Wait, yeah. we have to say our names. <laughs> I'm James Ewer. And I'm Jaden Abbott. On this show, we analyze illnesses that exist in fictional works such as TV, books, and film, and how they relate to the real world. And this week, we'll be taking a look at the titular disease from Funny or Die's satirical short film, Climate Change Denial Disorder. Climate Change Denial Disorder is a comedic web segment directed by Carly Usden that premiered on Funny or Die in 2015. The short is structured in the form of a public service announcement about a medical condition known as Climate Change Denial Disorder, which, according to the announcer, causes older people and members of Congress to ignore blatant evidence of growing concerns caused by anthropogenic climate change. Does your parent, grandparent, or political representative suffer from climate change denial disorder? CCDD is a rapidly spreading disease that world health officials say, if left untreated, could destroy the entire planet. The announcer then goes on to list some of the telltale signs of a person with CCDD. Climate change denial disorder is a rapidly spreading disease that attacks the neurons, making it impossible to comprehend basic words like world, melting, not good, science, and factual. They say that temperatures are higher than normal these days. I think that's a bunch of new age hooey garbage. <laughs> it's snowing right now. Who cares if I'm in Southern California? Then, after listing some notable individuals who have fallen victim to the disorder, the commercial notes the only known cure. 56% of Republicans in Congress have been severely infected with CCDD and need your help immediately. They include Jim Inhofe, Lisa Murkowski, Steve Daines, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Joni Ernst, Rodney Davis, Mike Pompeo, Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, Andy Harris, Ann Wagner, Jeff Sessions, Scott Garrett, Jimmy Fox, John Boehner, Bill Schuster, Paul Ryan, and many, many more. Doctors say the only known cure for CCDD is a Q-tip, so you or your Republican representative can clean the sh- out of your ears so you'll be able to listen to scientists who know more about science than you do. Results may vary. Given that the disorder contains denial in its name, it may be helpful to start by talking about just that, denial. Jaden, are you in denial? Oh, I don't live in Egypt, James, come on. Anyway, denial, of course, isn't a disorder. Rather, it's a defense mechanism, a psychological concept which Encyclopedia Britannica defines as a mental process that enables the mind to reach or compromise solutions to conflicts that it is unable to resolve. Essentially, defense mechanisms are tactics that the mind uses to reduce anxiety or feelings of discomfort that arise from potentially harmful situations, and importantly, they're usually unconscious. Many psychologists have offered theories about defense mechanisms and how to classify them. The first to do so was Sigmund Freud, though neither he nor his daughter Anna Freud explicitly outlined denial as a defense mechanism. Today, however, it is usually regarded as one, defined as something along the lines of an unwillingness to accept or even perceive a situation that may be considered painful. Within the context of climate change, denial is prevalent because many people have tremendous incentives to ignore it, as Pat Egan will tell you. Politics has a distinctly European flavor. Writing for CBC News, Nicole Mortiaro notes that certain people may have short-term fiscal motives to pretend long-term anthropogenic climate change isn't an issue. For instance, if you're in a career that relies on a fossil fuel industry, you might be afraid that taking action against climate change will threaten your job. 
Other people might feel that efforts to mitigate carbon emission will require massive government spending, which deters politicians and voters from recognizing a conflict that could require raising taxes to resolve. The key thing here is the denial is just one river, and there are lots. The Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> you need just, to stop. Just, just list rivers. For the whole thing. Just li- this episode is a list of rivers. <laughs> that's, that's all it becomes. Like... Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The key thing here is that denial, as a psychological concept, refers to a blatant disregard of fact. And, as Dr. Sarah Gorman and Jack M. Gorman of Psychology Today note, while scientists may disagree about how quickly anthropogenic climate change is affecting the planet and how we should go about resolving it, almost all are in agreement that it is happening and the consequences are impending. Therefore, for those not wishing to take action against it, denial is probably the most appropriate word. Do you remember that episode of Victorious where Cat Valentine was like, are you guys talking about global warming? Because I don't think that's really happening. I was at the movies the other day and it was so cold. I do not. I do not. You need to get more on your Nickelodeon oh, is that is, is that what I'm That's missing? That's the theme of this whole podcast. Oh, Nickelodeon knowledge? It's not a medical podcast. Do you remember the episode of iCarly where there were feet in really weird positions? You mean all Every of them? Every episode of iCarly. <laughs> yeah. The announcement notes that the only cure for climate change denial disorder is using a Q-tip to clean out your ears and listen to scientists. But what is it that's clogging up our ears anyway? According to the Mayo Clinic not to be confused with the ketchup clinic, the medical name for airwax is cerumen. And Jaden and I will be cerumen together next year. The skin of the outer ear canal has glands that secrete the wax, which, along with small hairs in the ear canal, serve to trap dust, dirt, and other particles that don't belong in your ears. Earwax naturally moves to the opening of the ear on its own, where it either falls out or is washed away. But if wax builds up in the ear and becomes difficult to wash away naturally, what you have is a medical problem called an earwax blockage. An earwax blockage can cause an earache, dizziness, coughing, ringing in the ear, and yes, even partial hearing loss. An excess of earwax certainly won't become severe enough to cause total deafness, but as you can imagine, a blockage in the ear canal can make it a bit more difficult for sound waves to reach the eardrum. And interestingly, according to the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, earwax in older people is more likely to be hard, immobile, and excessive, much like how climate change denial disorder is more likely to affect older people. The commercial for climate change denial disorder suggests cleaning out your ears with a Q-tip, but in actuality, digging for earwax with a Q-tip or any other similarly sized item is a severely unsafe idea. Mustard Clinic notes that trying to do this may cause you to inadvertently push earwax further into your ear, which can damage the eardrum or the lining of the ear canal. Instead, earwax blockages should be resolved by a medical professional. A doctor can clean out earwax by using suction, a water pick, a syringe filled with water, or a small instrument called a curette. They can also give you wax removal eardrops to use on yourself at home if earwax becomes a recurring problem. I hear that back in the 50s, teachers in schools would take a paddle and hit students on the ear if they acted out. That method was called giving out earwax. This will be my last episode of What <laughs> You One of the main symptoms of climate change denial disorder is the inability to understand words related to climate change, such as world, melting, and factual. In real life, there are disorders which make it difficult for those affected to understand speech, and we've talked about them on the show before in our episode on Say the Opposite of What You Mean Disease. But let's review within the context of CCDD. People like me need review. Some of us have never heard the show before. (laughs) 
There are many different speech disorders, but those that occur because of an obstruction to the mental processes involved in communication mostly fall under the umbrella term aphasia. The National Aphasia Association, or the NAH, defines aphasia <laughs> as an impairment of like. <laughs> The National Aphasia Association, or the NAH, that's not what it's called. Well, defines aphasia as an impairment of language affecting the production or comprehension of speech and the ability to read or write. Aphasia is never present at birth. Rather, it's acquired later in life as a result of a brain injury, stroke, or neurological disorder. Interestingly, the PSA on Climate Change Denial Disorder does note that the issues to speech comprehension caused by CCDD are a result of an attack on the neurons, which is consistent with the factors that would lead to aphasia, although not all types of aphasia are caused by a neurological disorder, as we'll get into later. Different types of aphasia can impede speech production, speech comprehension, or both. But the people affected by CCDD in the film are seen to articulate their thoughts without any difficulty in perfectly constructed sentences. So this fictional disorder probably more closely parallels types of aphasia that affect speech comprehension. Not to be confused with speech comprostration, which is the male version. I apologize to the feminist movement. <laughs> <laughs> The best example of this is called receptive aphasia, or Wernicke's aphasia, named after Wernicke's area in the brain. Wernicke's area facilitates speech comprehension, so damage to this part of the brain causes an aphasia that leads to difficulty understanding what words and sentences mean. Interestingly, people with Wernicke's aphasia can still produce speech on their own fairly easily, so it is sometimes referred to as fluent aphasia. However, it would be wrong to say that people with this type of aphasia have perfect speech, Oftentimes, those affected add words to their sentences that don't make sense in context or don't even exist. In short, if the victims of CCDD had something more similar to Wernicke's aphasia, it's still unlikely they'd be able to articulate their opinions on climate change as well as they do. Further separating CCDD from Wernicke's aphasia is the fact that the latter actually isn't caused by an attack on the neurons. It's caused by a stroke or some type of brain injury to Wernicke's area. For this reason, we might say that CCDD is a bit more similar to types of aphasia that are actually caused by neurological disorders, of which there is only one. Primary progressive aphasia. Primary progressive aphasia, or PPA, is the only form of aphasia that is caused by a neurodegenerative disease rather than a brain injury or stroke. PPA also differs from other forms of aphasia in that its symptoms gradually become more prominent as the brain tissue deteriorates. However, while PPA mirrors CCDD in its cause, it's not an exact matchup as PPA typically impairs both speech comprehension and production, although usually not at the same predictable rate for both. It should be noted that there is no form of aphasia that is semantically selective towards which words in particular it affects. It's unlikely that anyone would develop a communication disorder where they only have trouble with words that relate to certain topics such as climate change. It's probably not unreasonable to say that a person affected by aphasia naturally has greater difficulty with some words than others, but these differences are almost certainly arbitrary rather than correlated with some meaning-based category. One of the people affected by climate change denial disorder in the film is seen to be sitting content and unfazed in the middle of a California snowstorm. This may seem like an absurd image, but it probably isn't too bold a claim to say that people experience the cold differently. Roommates argue over the thermostat in the exact same room, and you may have noticed your Florida friends at NYU complaining about the winter more than your Minnesota friends at NYU. So what controls the way we experience the cold? Does anyone actually have any friends at NYU from Minnesota? According to Dr. Yella Hewings-Martin, our bodies react to the cold when nerves in the skin sense a change in temperature and send information about it to the brain. The brain then passes signals to the blood vessels in order to inhibit blood flow through the skin. This process is called vasoconstriction, 
and it allows the body to retain more heat in colder temperatures. However, vasoconstriction does not affect all people to the same extent. How people experience the cold varies, particularly because of two main factors, the shape of the body and the amount of subcutaneous fat a person has. Body shape affects how cold a person feels because different people lose heat at different rates. If the surface area of a person's body is larger, they're going to lose heat more quickly and, as such, feel the cold more intensely than a person of comparable body mass but smaller body surface area. On the other hand, assumedly the left one, a person might handle the cold better if they have a lot of subcutaneous fat. Subcutaneous fat refers to fat that lies under the surface of the skin as opposed to visceral fat, which is the fat that surrounds the internal organs. Fat functions well as an insulator, so the more subcutaneous fat a person has, the more heat they'll retain in the cold. Although in theory it's advantageous to be able to handle the cold, it's important that temperature changes affect us in ways that allow us to take note of them, or else they may cause medical issues. A key example is hypothermia, which Ranch Clinic defines as a medical emergency that occurs when your body loses heat faster than it can produce it, causing a dangerously low body temperature. Hypothermia occurs when the internal body temperature falls below 95 degrees Fahrenheit. This is a dangerous condition because it prevents organs such as the heart from functioning properly, and, if left untreated, it may cause them to fail entirely and lead to death. It's wise to take note of temperature conditions and how your body is responding to them, as the most common cause of hypothermia is prolonged exposures to cold weather conditions or cold water. Interestingly, because it is the nervous system that first senses a drop in temperature, it does follow that the attack on the neurons that causes CCDD could make it more difficult to sense changes in temperature and properly respond to the cold. In fact, Sriracha Clinic lists many different risk factors for hypothermia, among which are certain medical conditions that affect the body's ability to regulate temperature. Among those listed by Barbecue Sauce Clinic. <laughs> That's it. I'm running out of condiments. Oh, yeah. Among those listed by Mayo Clinic are Parkinson's disease and spinal cord injuries, both of which impact the nervous system. And... Amazingly, another risk factor for hypothermia noted on the same list is, you guessed it, older age. As people grow older, their body's ability to sense and appropriately respond to temperature changes diminishes. So, even in a non-political sense, it follows that people most at risk of climate change denial disorder are parents, grandparents, and politicians. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> That's all we have to say for now. But what do you think? Do you have a question or contribution to today's discussion? If so, you can send us an email at afflictionfiction at wnyu.org. For now, I'm James Ewer. And I'm Jaden Abbott. Thanks for listening. And get well soon. Climate Change Denial Disorder was written by Nicole Payone and is property of Funny or Die. Lover's Carvings by Bibio was written by Stephen Wilkinson and is property of Warp Records. 